Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varley, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio. I've got a special guest coming to us all the way from Edinburgh, Scotland, Laura Anderson. Laura, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. And um, hello from Edinburgh. <laughs> Well, we're, I'm excited to have you on. We, we have ventured, as they say, over the pond, but <laughs> over the Atlantic a uh, couple times uh, from various guests uh, over in the UK. Um, we've even gone all the way to Australia. We always get excited. I mean, we do do some events. We'll be at the London Marathon this year, the Berlin Marathon with Run Team. So I like to say, you know, we're not that big of an organization, but I do like to say like when we have guests from the overseas and we're running all these events, and we do get some runners from time to time that come run in like the New York Marathon or the Chicago Marathon, that we are a global organization. But when we bring guests on, it's kind of a testament that we have guests from all over the world. So it's super exciting. And as we know, uh, pancreatic cancer just isn't a disease that impacts people in the United States. Um, it impacts people all over the world. And this is kind of you and I were talking before about the podcast and you know helping to share awareness. This is really a global effort. What we're trying to do is just amplify as much awareness of pancreatic cancer, you know, clearly here in the United States, but throughout the world, you know, and if we could do that, or if we can help champion that and work with, you know, our partners in the UK that have organizations and in Australia and all, all the, the other countries throughout the world, I think this disease will get a lot better in terms of treatment early detection. Um, so we're excited to have you on because this is this is really cool when we get to bring guests from other countries on to talk about their journeys and, their, and the survivorship that they're going through. So with that, um, this is your opportunity. I'm going to hand the mic over to you here in a minute to share your journey with pancreatic cancer. And as I said before we hit record, you can go as far back as you'd like, or you can stay as high level as you want. And with that, Laura, the mic is yours. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so my name is Laura Anderson, and I'm actually from a small town in uh, Longford in the middle of Ireland. And I have been living in Edinburgh um, the past seven, eight years. Um, I was lucky enough to meet um, the love of my life. I call him my Prince Charming. And ever since um, I met him, I think we're four years now, um, I've been living here and we're kind of settling here. So, um, yeah, absolutely love it. So we are married. Oh, it's coming up to our third anniversary this December. So uh, being a, a young couple starting off and, um, you know, talking about our uh, marriage and then our next plan was um, to have start a family and have children um unfortunately that dream was well I'm gonna say it's put on hold at the moment um but I'm just gonna bring you to where I suppose where it started for me when it came to symptoms and to how long it took for me to get diagnosed um so the reason why I mentioned the wedding is because it kind of brought me back to the year before a wedding, we were wedding plan in 2017. And we, at the time, I suppose, I was 
working in financial services and my role in financial services like health and safety consultants. So it was, a, it was it was stressful enough, a lot to do with like fire safety and, you know, keeping buildings safe, keeping everyone safe, a lot of uh, mental health training. So I used to kind of, I suppose I was quite stressed, but probably didn't realise it. Um, and at the time, I would notice, um, like I used to have like, uh, like I used to get like little rashes on my legs and on my arms and on my chest. And I used to think that was anxiety. Um, you know, I just get embarrassed, you know, speaking in front of people. But I used to get it a lot of the time. Um, and it was like kind of every week it kind of started um, coming up more and more. And then I started to kind of develop pain um, in my lower abdominal and my lower back. Um, and at the time, I kind of really thought nothing of it. So like I kind of... Um, used to just kind of carry on you kind of you go into fight or flight you kind of just keep going on with stress and you think well, it's just stress and you're diagnosing yourself and then in the lead up to the wedding I suppose it was a stressful time trying to organize a wedding from from Edinburgh because uh, it was in Ireland so again I was just thinking okay um you know it's again I'm just having flare-ups it's anxiety it's stress it's normal pain I used to have pain um a lot of the time around um the time of the month so I used to put it down to like period pain um and I just thought it was just normal and I would just take um like paracetamol and, and things would be okay so that kind of went on um for a couple of months in 2018 until I decided to go to the the local the GP and um, the doctor here um just before the wedding and um I went in and I explained my symptoms you know I was getting like flare-ups and and they told me at the time to make a food diary I must be allergic to something that I'm eating and um we kind of left it at that so got married um all is good and then we decided to start thinking about having a baby so at that time we were trying for I suppose two years so 2018 to 2020 and nothing was happening so in between that time I would again um 2019 kind of I was in and out of the GP a lot with same kind of pains um they took like they they took like a stool sample and things and they kind of put it down just thinking it might be ibs because i was pain in my stomach kind of similar flushing um and they told me to rule out certain foods maybe i need to go maybe gluten-free things like that so um followed that on and, and again in the gp i was getting um various like blood tests so they were checking my bloods I used to continue, one of the, the symptoms I had was low uh, white blood cells. Hmm. So I was kind of like, they used to put me down to having viral infections all the time. But again, it was like, I could have been in there, you know, every second month with a viral infection. Um, but they never investigated further. And, you know, that went on until um, January 2020. So between that time, I was in and out of the GP until the pain got so bad in January 2020, it was actually, you know, the mis 
of the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, that the pain was so bad in my um, stomach um, and back that I had to go into A&E. Um, so at the time I went into A&E and they did, um, at the time they just, they did an ultrasound and they ruled out like they thought it might be tuberculitis, um, pancre- pancreatitis, um, appendicitis, even though it wasn't on the, because it was on my um, left side. Um, they also low my age um they were like I was uh 30 30 going on 33 they're like you're young you're fit you're healthy um it's just a it's just an infection you're obviously prone to infections we can't see anything um the ultrasound they just looked at my abdominal area and my ovaries and they said everything was fine and it's because I had explained to them oh you know I've been in and out um you know, it's pain seemed to always be around my uh, time of the month. So they were like, okay, well, um, take some. They put me on diflofenic and they said, uh, just take that and that will help with pain. So that was the first trip to A&E. And then um, because of the pandemic, you weren't allowed to go and see GP. So it was all telephone consultations. Um, so being on the telephone was like they did a triage and I'd be explaining I'm in crucial pain, the diflofenic's not doing anything, um, you know, I don't know what to do. So again, went back into A and E in the March, and this time they did um they did a CT scan and they looked at um uh, my uh, stomach um a chest and um with that, there was a, I'll never forget it, there was a young junior doctor on and they said that they seen um, that my spleen was enlarged and they ruled it out just saying that you're just, it's again, it was like a viral infection. And I, you know, I never questioned, I was just thinking, I'm obviously really run down and must be stressed with work Um lot of family worries at home so I just thought I was taking on everything and um you know I didn't really think anything else you know I would never think uh cancer or anything like that you know I, I just didn't I just uh my main focus was baby 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 worse like so they told me to go home again they, t- they told me to take some time off work and um rest so that was what I was given at the time a couple of weeks later same again I the pain got really bad and I was just crying with pain so that we didn't actually telephone the GP we went straight to A&E and this time they said I was a mystery they were like we don't we can't see anything wrong your your what your blood tests are coming up low white blood cells but at this at this point the blood test showed there was high red uh, blood cells and I remember sitting down and the nurses you can always hear them chatting they're like oh she looks young and fit and healthy but I'm actually worried her her red blood cells are quite high um and sometimes I can indicate like obviously um autoimmune diseases or, or infections or cancer so 
um, I was just sitting there and they said, okay, we're going to get you in for um, an MRI. And, but, but they couldn't do it there and then because of COVID, the pandemic, that they wouldn't give me the scan there and then. So I had to wait three weeks to get the scan. And with that, I had an MRI and the radiologist at the time, I was trying, I had a 50 minute window that I could chat to her. So I was like, I've had a lot of pain the last couple of years. I've been getting blood tests. I, I don't know what's what's happening. Is it like, um, it's not IBS. It's keep saying I have infections. Um, you know, is it dementia? I was like thinking it's endometriosis and similar symptoms. And she, she was like, oh, it could be endometriosis. Um, but um, I'm going to refer you to um, a fertility specialist. Um, but when I was sitting chatting away to her, she was like, um, okay, I can see something. I can see a shadow. So it kind of worried me a bit. And I was like, well, shadow, can you explain to me? And she was like, I can't tell you anything here. And you'll have to wait um, uh, a week until your, G- your local GP contacts you. And I was like, right, okay. So I went back into work the next day. And I'll never forget speaking to my manager and, um, you know, because cause I'd been off sick a couple of times. So I was at risk of losing my job. Um, felt quite panicked and you know I was explaining to her like this is what's happening just had a, an MRI and she was like oh it's probably like um, a blocked cyst you know it was all you know she's di- everyone was diagnosing because we couldn't get a solution um, but I was saying that the radiologist seen a shadow you know which is quite strange um, you know what's that mean like I hope I don't have cancer but that's what I I'll never forget saying that Um a week later, um, I was sitting on a Teams call for work because obviously we're all working from home. And I got a phone call from the local GP saying, uh, can you come in in the next hour? And I was like, my husband was working. Um, looking, he was working in the office at the time. So it was close by I ran, and I was in tears and I just had that gut feeling. It's like something's wrong and I was and in it in it I kind of thought oh they're just going to tell me I'm infertile or something you know even though I it was just something like that and he came home rushed home and I went into the the doctor's surgery and the doctor's face was white I'll never forget it and she said she goes can you go sit down and she said we found um there's a mass in your stomach and um it's not looking good and um and I said what like totally shocked we just were like what like we're crying crying our eyes out it's like what do you mean she was like unfortunately it's really bad news it's cancer and it's actually a tumor on your pancreas and it's um spread to your stomach and other parts of your organs and that's all I can tell you I was like what what does that mean she goes you're referred to um like the hospital where um there's a the MDT you're going to discuss your um your case and they won't be in contact with you for another week she goes I I think you should go home and see your family and um you know it's not really looking good for you and I, and I was like oh my god so you're, are you saying that I've only a couple of months to live or like what so she was like we're all really shocked here in the surgery with you being so young and I was like, you're shocked. And it was a really, it was actually a horrible meeting. The way they dealt with me at the time, I'll never, it was, it was appalling. And um, so at the time, 
pandemic was on, hadn't seen my family for months and months. And um, thankfully, flights had just started and my sister came over um, because I needed some support. And um, she helped me just get my stuff together and, and we flew to Ireland together. Um, I've got four sisters, two brothers and loads of nieces and nephews. So I have a big Irish family at home. And I walked into my um, my kitchen to see my parents and it's like they were all there for my memorial like I could never get anyone together and they're all just so upset and I was like Jesus like you know we still don't know you know they've just told me this it's cancer they said it's pancreatic cancer we still need to do further tests like just so that week was it's crazy it was like everyone was saying their goodbyes to me it was it was such a surreal experience Um, I came back and I met with the local uh, oncologist and she then uh, we had to do a biopsy, um, which was taken um, because of the nodes in my stomach. It was the kind of it was a floating. Does that make sense? It was like floating kind of. So it was really hard for them to get the the tumour and, and to try and get a biopsy. So it was a long time in trying to get the biopsy. It was overnight and then we had to wait another week for results so this was all happening in uh, June to July uh, 2020 so um thankfully I had like some family support my sister came over even though during the pandemic it was so strict you weren't allowed to do anything like it was horrific or see anybody it was all restrictions um and the oncologist then they came back and they said, look, this is a better outcome. It's um, a pancreatic tumour on your pancreas. Um, it's stage four. It's um, spread. You've got like cancerous nodes all over your, the perineum, the lining of your stomach. You've got lesions on your liver. And, um, and that was kind of the meeting. It was, and it was actually... The guy that gave us the news was um, a junior oncologist and he happened to be from Maryland, which is quite, quite funny as well. And because of the masks and um, you could see in his eyes how like you can always tell a person you look at them in the eyes and like you could see the sadness and how frightened he was to tell us the news because he kept saying, look, you know, you're young, you're young. Like it's an unusual to find someone um, with this type of cancer. Um, and I was like, of course, everyone does well for me to diagnose, like what's the prognosis and, you know, what's my options? Um, because there and then I felt like I had none, like they, I felt like there was no hope in those moments. Um, and they said, um, it's not, um, the survival rate, I suppose, based on, you know, if you, the worst thing is we all know Google. And we doctor Google and Google tells us we're going to die within three months. Sometimes you can last nine months and you're looking up to a year. Um, with that case, with newer endocrine tumours, um, pancreatic, they say that the survival rate then, depending on age, you can last maybe two to three years. It all depends on how you react to treatment. And um, obviously there's no cure. Um, it's incurable. It's inoperable um and um we're going to try 
um, this type of chemotherapy on you, um, but it might not work. So there, that was my meeting. <laughs> and it was crazy. It was a, oh, sorry. It was, um, that was my meeting with the oncologist and it was a pancreatic uh, nurse. And then there was a neuroendocrine nurse in the meeting room as well. So there's all these people in mass telling me, and then there was me and Paul, my husband, and they told me to, they had a sheet of paper and they're like, you need to sign for treatment because we need to get you started on chemotherapy at ASAP. Without even like, we didn't even have time to think. We were just so shocked. And to be honest, my husband was taking notes because I was sitting there and I couldn't take anything in. Um, And because of my age and I was actually afraid to ask the question and I just said look is there any hope I'm going to get better because at this point I thought you were going to tell me I couldn't have children or it was endometriosis because I was led to believe from the doctors that that's what it was and it was never never no one looked into cancer no one you know they bypassed it because of being a female and my age they they never investigated further um and she said, no, your future is looking very different. So with that, usually what happens here in the UK and the NHS, if women are diagnosed with cancer, they're given an option of IVF to obviously um, save their eggs. Um, with that, because I was uh, classed as incurable, um, they said I couldn't. And with that, um, I was like, this is just doomed. I'm doomed. So they're not giving me a chance to save my eggs or see if I have any. So with that, we come out of the meeting and I said, I'm going, we're going to have to go private because whatever happens, I have to think about a future. Even though at that time, I didn't think I had one because it was so negative, the environment I was in, um, that they said, um, okay, if you want to go private, you have to pay for it. Um, will allow you um, a delay in your chemo and let you go through IVF. So I had uh, found a lovely clinic in Scotland um, and we went private and I went through IVF, which was, a, again, very surreal experience. And because of the urgency, um, the, the specialist team for IVF were like, they put me through it like very intensely, like was... Um, uh, over a two week period of injections and um my husband he's the best he he uh, gave me the injections every night and um then it's all about the time if, if anyone's been through IVF it's 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 such a crucial time then to have this simulator injection to see if you can if the female if, you, if I can produce enough eggs um and then you have um an egg retrieval and with that we didn't know if we get any and and but one good thing that we found when we were going through the process is I wasn't, I was never in fertile or, or either obviously your husband has to get checked and I have to get checked. And when we got a blood test taken, they said, actually, it's obviously the inflammation, the cancer in your body that stopped you getting pregnant. It's you're not infertile. So that kind of gave me a bit of, I don't know, at the time, reinsurance, but we went through that process and thankfully we retrieved uh, embryos. So at the moment I've got embryos in, in storage. So that's kind of where our hope is and, and my hope for the future. And that's what's keeping me going. Um, and with that, 
I started uh, chemotherapy and the chemotherapy options given to me. Um, so there's two treatments options. One of them was, was carboplatin and sorry, I can't pronounce it. It's, it's the, the real common one um, for pancreatic cancer. Is it Flufluorinox? Flufluorinox. That was that option. And the, sec- the other option was Captem. Yep. So that was um, a more tolerable option. But because they said to me, <laughs> the the grade of the cancer, and your end-to-end cancer is really complex because you have to have, a, you have to reach a category. So you're graded in stages and grades. So it's all based on your KI percentage and how they can indicate your your tumor growth and if it's aggressive or if it's functioning or non-functioning tumor. Um, so with that, they were like, um, with your tumor, obviously you're not producing enough enzymes and it's um, a functioning tumor. We don't know what what's going to work. So we, we're going to tr- we're going to try CAPTEM. And CAPTEM, to be honest, it was very straightforward. Uh, and I used to have to go in once a week to the hospital get an infusion and then the rest I um had a two-week cycle two weeks on two weeks off um and unfortunately I suffered really badly with side effects um I just couldn't handle my body just couldn't handle it and that was the the more tolerable chemotherapy so I had eight cycles of that chemotherapy therapy and that went from October 2020 to May last year and the reason we had to stop the CAPTEM is because the cancer progressed so it wasn't holding the cancer anymore and um, I got really ill I was in hospital um, for a week um, I they told me I've got like problems with my lungs they told me that I had severe anemia. Um, they said that the cancer has progressed, obviously, in my lymph nodes. And um, one thing I suppose it just reminded me um, is that I had also uh, said to the hospital about um, lymph nodes and I had shown them, I'm gonna, not that it matters, but a really, really lymph node on my neck and they told me at the time not to worry about it they're like oh it still happens can be a flare-up but actually it's turned out to be one of the biggest problems I have because it they were just checking to see if it was a, a secondary cancer so they never investigated fully either early enough to kind of help me like they should have did radi- radiotherapy straight away but it progressed from when I said to them in January to uh, me, I was in this position that lymph nodes have spread. So um, I was kind of like, what's next? What am I going to do? Like, what are my treatment options? Um, I unfortunately was dealing with a very negative oncologist. And that's where it comes into anyone that is dealing with, um, so I suppose such a rare cancer and, you know, trying to find someone that specialised in it. I think she knew more about panc- the actual pancreatic itself. It was more, we, I needed more support on the, the treatment for neuroendocrine tumours that c- kind of look more in depth with the function inside of, of the, the cancer itself. Like, 
she had only given me two options. But actually, if you look at it, there is other options out there. But I wasn't given that choice. So I decided to go and get a second opinion. Um, so I went and got a second opinion off a specialist, a neuroendocrine specialist. Um, he had said that for me to try the really harsh chemo. And at that time, I was just like so, so skinny. I'd lost so much weight. I was only like 55, 50, 53, 54 kg, which was a lot. Like I went from 10 stone to eight, like oh, just over eight stone. Um, and I was like, how could I do that after like my the way my body's reacted to the, the more tolerable chemo? I said, they were like, OK, Laura, you just need to take a break. Um, and I just felt, OK, I need to start looking elsewhere because I'm not getting the help I need from the medical team that I have. Um, they're very negative. They gave me no hope. Um, they said um, at the time, you know, whatever prognosis they gave me, I was like, well, um, I like I, my plan was obviously to beat that prognosis. But it was like they're not actually giving me any positivity. And it's actually my mind, like the anxiety and depression that I was suffering at the time, it just, I was in a really bad headspace. So uh, we started look at, looking at alternative options and alternative, like more holistic treatments. And this is something that I kind of started doing when I got diagnosed, but I really wanted to um, obviously try conventional treatment, um, see would it help. And, you know, I hope that it would help and I and I wish it did. And I was in a better position than I am now. But unfortunately, it hasn't. And it's just left me worse off than I am. Um, so this is where, like, we started to research. And um, but before, before I should have mentioned, actually, um, before I started chemo, I actually started to make changes myself Um a lot of the food and everything that they give you in the hospital, you laugh. It's all obviously, I'm not sure what it's like in the hospitals over there, but it's just crap processed food and sugar. And so the first thing I did, um, somebody gave me a gift called Radical Remission by Kelly Turner. I don't know if you've heard of that book. Um, I found it really inspiring. Um, it was the nine key factors of um, changing your life basically and it was all to do with your diet um, and a lot of it was physical things that you could control and then there was one was emotional um, so I, I think they think now at the time because I had taken control of my health you know eight months when I started before I started chemo and ate really well plant-based cut dairy cut everything out that you know they think that really helped control the cancer like it even though it was going more aggressive they said obviously something you've done has helped so that kind of gave me more hope into looking okay there is more alternative side out there like how where can I get help because obviously the blood tests that you get in the UK are only looking at your your liver function your kidney function uh, your white blood cells your red blood cells um and you're not they're not looking anything further so um, myself and my husband researched clinics and obviously all the clinics we found were uh, based in the US. So um, there was like, I don't know if you've probably heard of them, like um, Oasis for Healing, um, 
what there was clinics in Germany mm-hmm. and basically it was a big step because of course people are really like when you're desperate like we're to be honest if I seen someone like put up a go fund and I seen that they were like getting chemo and stuff and I'm like I probably would have judged straight away and thinking why aren't they getting the treatment that you know that's given to them in the hospital why are they looking elsewhere I'm like it's because you don't have a choice like you're trying to look for more hope like it's your at the end of the day when you're in this position you're just looking for longevity like you would you're just you want to live and I was kind of again afraid of being judged afraid to ask for help afraid to ask for money but we honestly felt so desperate last May that we decided to do a GoFund and um, we did our research and we decided to go with the clinic in Mexico based on um, I knew another Irish girl that had been to the clinic and I started kind of reading up on like different I started doing my research on the like Instagram page testimonials and I just was like hoping this place is legit because obviously when you're a death for cancer patient there is people that will take advantage mm-hmm. and then there was a lot of negativity as well because they were like they're just after your money and um, they're not going to do anything for you and I'm like okay well we're going to have to take that leap of faith because what other choices do we have so when you look at like as we had you know we spoke we had spoke about before we're saying everything is money at this day and age why should we have to fight for our lives and have to raise money to fight for our lives there should be help out there like it, it just baffles me so anyway like we set up the GoFund and we raised enough money for the three weeks so basically the clinic we researched called Hope for Cancer in Mexico and their approach was on the seven principles of healing and we didn't know what to expect um we were going in totally just blind even though we'd done so much research but we were nervous because so many people put their um donations and money to help me go to this clinic and I was just like expecting miracles so um the go fund was set up and within three days we met the target that's how amazing people are uh Irish people everyone in like like it was a lot of it was my community my hometown that were like okay we know Laura like we want to help her and then the more I got out there there was all these strangers donating and it was it's just the kindness from people is outstanding um so we got to Mexico and at the time I was quite ill so it was kind of actually to be honest it was a it was the first week and a half was quite traumatic and then I kind of settled into being there. So um, the clinic, what the clinic does is they look at you as a whole person and they want to treat you um, not just like the tumour or not just, they want to treat you and try and uh, find the root cause of the cancer. Um, and they use these methods um, like um detoxification um they have immunotherapies and then different protocols to follow so when you go to the clinic uh you meet with uh you're assigned a doctor 
and they do um ultrasound they take um something i had before was your inflammation and cancer markers um so that's things that they looked at um different blood tests different scans um nutrition so obviously your stool and they then within the first week they come up with um a, a treatment plan for uh, specifically designed for you so um that's what happened and um when I was in the clinic they had found uh, more lymph nodes in my stomach and more on my neck so my neck was double the size and they found three nodes on my neck whereas in the UK they had said there was one and none in my stomach so it was really frightening at the time and they were really worried about me because they were like your your lymph nodes are actually quite aggressive so when I was in Mexico they were like we want you to go to the clinic in Tijuana and we want you to start you on uh, IPT chemotherapy um, and with that we will do the holistic treatments alongside so we'll try and uh, keep you well so to be honest we couldn't afford it so I was like, that's not an option for us. We've just got enough money to cover this trip. Um, can we just see how I get on and how I react to the treatments that you're giving me here and see what it can? So luckily enough, um, within the, the last week, the the neck kind of went down a little bit and um, I started to feel better. But that wasn't obviously... Um, helping me because we had to come up with a plan what my next steps were to try and treat the more aggressive side so the suggestions were was find a specialist in the like a neurointegrant specialist in the UK and see could I um work with along with the hope for cancer protocol and a specialist basically so that's kind of um what happened I um from when I started in the Hope for Cancer Clinic to the end, all my inflammation markers and cancer markers had reduced and the blood flow to the tumours had reduced. And that was just in three weeks. I, I was just thinking, God, imagine if I was there for months and then sure I'd be healed by now. Um, that's so, yeah. So a lot of it is just about like vitamin C infusions is key. And I've done a lot of like research and science behind vitamin C and, and, and there is research papers coming out more um, about boosting your immune system. And like, I've just read a book on Tony, it was Tony Robbins's life force book. And he was like, it's our immune system that fails us um, basically. And, you know, we all have cancer cells in our body, but it's when our immune system weakens that we allow the cancer to develop. Um, so, yeah. So at the moment I am, still following I found a specialist in the UK in, in Glasgow in Scotland um he has been a breath of fresh air because he has given me a, an option to try um pep p-r-r-t so it's peptide I can't pronounce it so it's a type of radiotherapy to target neuroendocrine tumors and um basically Again, this is where the decisions are made with what treatments, even though you could be on your deathbed, you still have to qualify under the 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 guidelines to have you have to meet a certain standard. So 
um, because of the grade and stage of the cancer, they had said that I don't qualify for this PRRT therapy. I don't qualify for the infiniter that's out there. I don't qualify for the lanaride injection. So like, so net patients might be wondering, they're like, why isn't she getting all these treatments? Like there is treatments. Why is she going holistic? I'm like, because of the grading stage, I was told I can't, um, I don't qualify for the treatment. So they pushed for PORT therapy because um, I had to have specialized scans. And thankfully I had um, a donate scan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Specialized scan uh, where they kind of put dye in to see will um, uh, the tumors pick up the dye. So you've got some satin receptors. So if they were to do the targeted therapy, would it would it help? So um, I've had two um, two sessions of that. I've just had my recent one, um, and with that, the specialist told me that. Um, I have a problem with my uh, platelets. They're continuously low and I have a problem with my, obviously, hemoglobin. It's really low um, and that's all due to the chemotherapy. My body's still recovering. So obviously, I'm after giving myself a bastion of some like type of radiotherapy to try and target the lymph nodes. And then, so uh, if you're trying to, to build your immune system and then you're obviously trying to target the the can the aggressive side of the cancer as well. Um, so I mightn't be able to get a third because of um, how my platelets are and because of my bone marrow isn't recovering enough. So with that, um, where I'm at now is, is solely kind of thinking, right, is I really, really need to focus on healing naturally then. I really need to focus, can I heal naturally? And is there other help out there? So um, I just had my second dose of PRT therapy. Um, I had a meeting with my specialist and they said that hopefully they, um, I've had just actually had uh, two blood transfusions to help my hemoglobin. Um, so hopefully that will give, um, my body basic needs and um I'm hoping so the hope from the specials is that we can get control of the cancer that's the problem that's the problem I have right now it's the lymph nodes um so where the the biggest hope I have now is I have a scan um I just had a scan I've got results in two weeks and I, we kind of will go from there to where I'm at um I am continuing with my hope for cancer uh, protocol um they did make a suggestion I went back for my second visit in November to see how things were going um inflammation has reduced but there's still a lot of inflammation like the thing is when you go to this clinic a lot of the cancer patients where there's loads of people, various cancers, stage one and stage two. So when you are reading a lot of the testimonials, you see, wow, I've been healed, you know, because it was easier. You were They detected it earlier and they were able to help reduce the cancer at a quicker pace. Stage four, healing takes time. Do you know, mm -hmm. it's not going to be a miracle within a year. 
they say that the healing pro the healing program is, is two years, you know, to get your body back. Um, so I think a lot of people's expectations were thinking, oh, she's going to be healed. You know, that's, you know, she's going, she's doing all these supplements and she's doing all her home treatments. Um, she's doing this. And like, it's not, if, if it was that simple, then yeah, you know, I, I wish I was, but actually healing takes time and you have to think how long it took for the cancer to grow in my body and get to stage four. Um, so you have to think about how, how much healing work we have to do. Um, and the biggest challenge that I'm having now is um, it's the more mental and emotional challenge. And, and that's where I am starting to do a lot of um, emotional healing. Um, and that was and spiritual healing, actually. And a, a lot of what I'm doing is, OK, I can I can control the physical. I can control my diet. I can control um, the physical fitness. I can sit and do all my home treatments, which is like the infrared bed, um, infrared lamps, uh, coffee enemas, um, uh, taking my supplements, taking my medication, taking the, the immunotherapy. I can do all that. It's great if I'm doing all that, but if I'm not believing in myself and if I'm not working on my uh, my mental health, then how am I going to get better? You know, I have to believe I'm going to get better. And this is where I'm focusing on. Um, I've just read the manifest manifesting um set the seven steps to manifest in your best life. Um and with that, it's a really easy guide to try and give you um try and create your your future and it's just been really helpful to kind of give me to make me accountable you know and fill in I just started a journal um and I'm going to use it for 12 weeks to see you know where I'm going to be in, in 12 weeks time and I'm going to really manifest um a positive outcome I'm going to manifest I am healed I am going to have a family I am going to um I'm going to help others. I'm going to help others raise awareness. We're going to help um, show that actually holistic healing is a massive part of healing cancer. And, you know, vitamin C massively uh, frowned upon and infusions. Uh, why aren't we doing that more in hospitals? Why are we not focused on being more uh, proactive, more preventative? Um, it just... It really, like my eyes have opened into this new world of, you know, the holistic side of healing and cancer. And actually, it's not just cancer, chronic illnesses. We're focusing more on medicating people. I know it's not like poisoning people, but like there's so much more to do than looking at the whole person than just treating them with uh, chemotherapy. In some cases, chemotherapy really does work for patients. And that's amazing if people can um, uh, go into remission from chemotherapy. And I think um, I wish that was uh, the case for me. And it just shows that one size doesn't fit all. Like no. we are all unique and we all react to treatment differently. And it just shows it just what I've noticed, like we are so unique. Like when I was getting the treatment in the hospital, the, the radio therapy type of treatment, they had said to me, Laura, there's lots of people with pancreatic net tumours and none of you have been the same. 
which is, I was crazy because I think it sounds the same, but it's like none of you reacted the same. It's everyone reacts differently. And it's just something we have to remember is like, because again, I always worry about people's judgments and it's like, it's how our bodies, it's how we react. But I'm slowly starting to understand and think it's a lot to do with our, our, our mind. And well, they say that the mind can do amazing things, right? And subconsciously, there's a there's a saying. I think it might be Tony Robbins. You mentioned Tony Robbins. Um, yeah. Your subconscious drives your conscious, right? So if you can yeah. change your subconscious to think in different ways, it's kind of like you know people way they their morning routines or how they put on their pants, right? Left first, right second, right. So if you can yeah. change those subconscious thoughts, that will drive your consciousness. And um, yeah. the mind is an amazing the brain itself is an amazing organ, you know, it's super powerful yeah. um, and it can do great things. And I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I, I, I did have one question here. You said you were going on 33. How old were you? I mean, I know my mom says, don't oh, ask. Sorry. I'm 33. What age am I? I'm 33. No, sorry. <laughs> How old are you now? I was done. I'm 34. So you were diagnosed 33. Now you're 34. Um, the, and you know, going through marriage and then starting to plan a family um, is stressful enough. Wedding, wedding is stressful, but then the stress of trying to start a family through all this um, for someone so young to be going through this is just to hear you talk. And that's why I didn't jump in because I was captivated by your history here and and just knowing how young you are to be going through this is just really, uh, is really powerful. I've got a question going back to the very beginning and it's two parts. Did you have, the first part is, did you have any health issues prior to, I know you said in like 17 with the wedding planning, you know, you were getting stress and having the rashes, but was there, I mean, in hindsight, it's always 2020. Was there anything in your teens or early twenties where you, you could look back now and say, oh, you know, maybe that was that. Um, and then the second part is family history. Yeah. So no, you like, I was one of those people when I went in, when you know, when I fill out those health forms, any, any, um, any medical illnesses? No, absolutely mm. nothing. Absolutely. Like I had no issues with my health. Uh, I, I, like, I love, um, like because I live in Scotland, hill walking, quite physically fit, um, and yeah, like f felt like most of the time, you know, felt good and healthy. And um, the biggest shock for us was that there is no family history of of <laughs> cancer, none at all, and nothing. Wow, it that, and that's the biggest shock because you could understand with someone in your family is diagnosed because then you can go back to genetics and you Correct. think, okay. Um, and even the genetic testing I had, and they're still kind of, um, we're looking at that, but they didn't find any genetics, like nothing. It's like, so that's kind of baffled me because it kind of, and that's where I'm at with kind of the more, the, the finding the root cause. And it sounds crazy, but like the holistic side, it's like, I follow Louise Hay as well. I don't know if you know Louise, follow Louise Hay. She's a big campaigner for cancer and and how to heal your body. And it's like, 
think about like um a lot of the emotional uh healing is like if you think about they want to go back to when you were a child mm-hmm. so if you think about any traumatic events in your life you know you know our brain is so so clever that we block everything out so they were trying to think have you had traumatic events in your life that may have caused your immune system to weak or, or, or something to happen and I was just like oh god like I can't remember anything so it's when you really start to think about different times in your life you know that you didn't think was traumatic but actually was and because you're in fight or flight and you kind of your brain just hides all this stuff mm-hmm. so it's when you start to work through all that like um deep you know healing within that I think okay was this me I, I don't know like how did this happen why have I got it like none of my family have it so I'm still puzzled and you know my brothers god love them they were like like why couldn't it be one of us like why was it you and I was like I, I don't know so that's the thing I, I don't know and hindsight's um, always twenty twenty, though to to be fair right and I, I think I've interviewed a lot of survivors um, and fighters on this podcast, Laura. And, you know, I don't think what you're thinking is uncommon um, because I think as humans, we, you know, when we go through traumatic events and, and a cancer diagnosis is a traumatic event that we think like, what could I have done differently or what yeah. should I have done differently? Right. But yeah. I will tell you that, um, sometimes we just never find those answers. Right. I mean, we've had people on the podcast that, um, you know, I had a gentleman who was a physical fitness instructor for um, the fire academy here in Connecticut. He was at the top of his physical capability. The guy ran marathons, up mountains, um, ate healthy every single day. Um, you know, and this was a 20-year veteran. Now, he was maybe exposed to some things being in the fire department, right, um, potentially. But from a health standpoint, you know, he was at the top of his game and he still got pancreatic cancer, you know? So I, I think it, and I, I say this because I, I think that's, um, it's unfair to ask that question, right? To some yeah. degree. Um, I, I think, you know, the, as I said before, the, the mind and the brain is an amazing organ and can do amazing things. And there are a lot of studies out there. You know, I love that you brought up the holistic route that you went because I've said we've had people on this podcast that have done traditional medicine, which, you know, it pains me to hear, you know, which I'll talk about here in a second, um, you know, how long you were misdiagnosed and, and the fact that the doctors, and this is, this is, we've, we've said this before, you know, if you have a bad doctor, go find another yeah. doctor. But it pains yeah. me to hear you tell the story of how the doctor, you know, and they were so quick to kind of pass off the fact that, you know, IVF wasn't an option and you need to do chemo tomorrow, which to me, yeah. they're just, I, I won't, I won't use the term, uh, but they're jerks for doing that. So if they're listening, um, take note. Um, but, you know, going holistic and, and, you know, again, if it works and it has worked for you, then mm-hmm. this is what we're here to do is we're here to share that work and share those yeah. stories because maybe there's someone out there listening. And so it's not our job at the end of the day to, to determine like which direction people should go. I think the one thing with this disease as as you have 
articulated very well is, is just the frustrations with it, right? Like there's just the frustrations of the healthcare system, the lack of uh, information, the lack of testing. And this is why we have to continue to amplify this message and continue to move along and raise as much awareness as possible because we've got to get better. Absolutely. And, and I think with that, at the time, I think I've read there's, there is better blood tests now available. I think, is there, well, I haven't even. Well, there's no, there's you know, no early detection tests for blood, right? Like prostate cancer for men, right? It, um, you know, you can do a PSA test and, you know, within that range, they can dictate, they can tell you, you know, if you, if you have the cancer, Um you know, it, it's frustrating, you know, it's really, really frustrating with pancreatic cancer, with neuroendocrine and, and adenocarcinoma tumors. We just don't have the diagnostic testing. So you have a situation like yourself where, you know, you're getting married, you have a lot of stress, um, yeah. you know, and you have a lot of these vague, super vague systems, symptoms. I mean, the, the, uh, the abdominal pain, you know, I mean, you said you're active, right? Like you could have been, yeah. you know, carrying a, a heavy backpack, you know, or, or mm -hmm. doing something, you know, that you could have easily have, uh, strained a muscle and stuff. And, you know, the rashes, it's interesting that you brought that up because, um, we've heard that before, but, you know, again, that could be just food sensitivity or it could just be hives. I mean, I, I've done a lot of public speaking in my life and, and have met so many people. I know sometimes I meet people and they get nervous and they turn red. Right. And that's, yeah. that's a common thing that happens to people. It's not uncommon. Right. So yeah, it's, it's super frustrating that we've got to get better. We just, I just how, like the frustrating thing for me is, you know, a lot of with the pancreatic and your endocrine, it's always, stage four like yeah. it's always late detection it's like how can we get better i think it has to start with the the g you know your doctors or like yeah. they need to be educated and, and it's like the symptoms they they should never like they should be focusing on more cancer like and not think or right, these symptoms you know we're not finding a solution and the symptoms are really similar like pancreatic cancer symptoms are, are you know, an endocrine, neuroendocrine is, is quite similar to other things like IPS and um, endometriosis. If you look at endometriosis in some cases, I'm like, yeah, abdominal pain, um, weight loss, mm -hmm. um, you know, issues with your bowel. Um, you know, it, it's completely, I just, it's, I just find it frustrating. I just think back if, you know, I had a scan earlier, you know, would have been, you know, stage two or, stage three like you know would I be operable now and you know remove the tumor and you know on the road to like recovery it's just like yeah it frustrates me and it's, we, we just need to get better raise awareness need definitely need more support um on this cancer because there isn't enough um and it's just seemed to be acceptable to be like all right pancreatic cancer is a death sentence that's like actually we need more awareness out there we need more support and um you know one thing I did do when I was uh, first diagnosed I had to find the survivors I was like there has to be survivors here because mm -hmm. everyone was very negative and I found Marissa Harris have you heard of her what she's a 21 Marissa, Marissa Harris? Harris no oh you need to you need to look her up she's um 21 years um survived so she's a long survivor um 
I spoke to her on the phone. I don't know where I can't remember. She lives somewhere in the US. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I was speaking to this woman. And the first thing she said to me, Laura, you are going to, you're going to get through this. You're going to. And I'm like, I don't even know you, but she's like, I'm 21 years and you're going to, you're, she was stage four. And she's like, and she did say to me at the time, and I was, you know, she did say it's all to do with your mind. And she did say, and I, and I, and I just remembered her and I was thinking now, cause I'm thinking now more focusing on my uh, emotional side and trying to believe I was like, yeah, actually, you know, she's 21 years surviving and she's helping people now um and mentor them because I think you know what's like, could be the secret recipe you or I, I don't know um I don't think I'm, there's a secret I don't think there's a secret <laughs> recipe to any of it uh to some degree uh I mean there's a yeah. there's a there's a reality to this right but I uh, you know to Marissa's point I mean, we've had a lot of survivors on this podcast, a lot. I, I don't even know what the headcount is. We're almost nearing 200 episodes over four years, and and we've had a uh, majority of our guests have been survivors. And I will tell you this, Laura, that there is a commonality yeah. in all the survivors, and it comes down to attitude. Attitude and support. So, yeah. um, you know, so no one does it alone. Um, I'm sure your husband, and you mentioned your family quite a bit, um, you know, along this journey and, um, you know, that that's really key, but attitude is so, so powerful and so key. And so, yeah. um, you know, there's a term, it's not rocket science, like having a, I, I know it's easy for me to say, cause I'm not the one in the chair doing the treatments mm -hmm. or battling the cancer. Um, but you know, we all have the ability to have a, have a positive attitude, um, and that starts when you get up in the morning um, to when you go to bed yeah. at night. So, um, you know, it, it is powerful um, to hear that um, because that is a common, I, I would tell you, of all the podcasts we have with all the survivors, it always comes up in terms of attitude is king and having that positive attitude and getting through that situation is critical. Yeah, I think if you were in that night, you know, you know, it would be easy for me to lie in bed and think, okay, this is it. You know, I can't, I can't cope anymore. And I honestly would get worse. And having that positive mindset, actually, no, I need to get up. I need to do this. I need to, I need to keep going. You know, it shows that having the support of my husband, thank, and I should have mentioned my my lovely dog Chip. <laughs> He's our baby. I love it. <laughs> he is. My He's my therapy dog and, um, you know, getting out for walks, physical exercise, you know, when I'm able to, you know, luckily enough, there was weeks there I couldn't even go out for a walk, you know, with pain and everything. And it's when I get out for that walk and it just resets everything. And it's like, actually, you can, you can do this. Like we have the strength and, um, yeah, it's that positive attitude and just to get up in the morning. And, but if you do one good thing every day, um, you know, sometimes I try and do too much and just one good thing a day and, it's, you know, you can get there. Um, Absolutely. You got to yeah. pace, pace yourself, as they say. <laughs> um, I have to do, I'm like, oh, I have to do this, this and this. And actually I'm going to focus on doing one good thing. Powerful stuff, Laura. I've got 
two questions left for you, and I know we want to give the opportunity for our audience to connect with you uh, last, but uh, before we get there, and, and these next two questions are loaded, I, I preface that. Um, there's no right or wrong to either one of them, but first one is someone listening to this podcast could be in the UK, could be here in the United States. They just have been diagnosed. What's the best advice, given your experience, what you've talked about, what you've gone through, that you would give that person? I would, first of all, um, get a second and third opinion. Fourth, if you need to. If you're unhappy with your uh, medical team or oncologist, do not accept what they have, have told you because... There is different um, approaches, different, so many different approaches to, to cancer and treatments. And you kind of have to uh, be your own, like, health, be your own advocate and and research and, and realize that just that one person, you know, you might have had that negative experience, but there is... Um, there is other options available and I definitely getting that second and third opinion gave me so much hope and gave me more options. Whereas the first um, meeting I had, I was told I just had this option and, and that was it. Whereas I met my second and second meeting, I had more options and my third opinion, I had more hope and options. I was like, okay, so there is, there is options. There is people out there that are really keen to support you. And, and if you're, uh, no matter what age you are that want to kind of give you hope and and um and try and help treat treat the cancer and get you on um on the road to recovery um and i would the one thing that really helped me was actually uh reading radical remission um i found that really helpful because i felt so lost in i didn't know what to do so uh, i just thought like things that I couldn't control, um, treatment, you know, I couldn't control like, you know, having treatment, the chemotherapy at the time, I was like, okay, but what can I control? So I can control my diet. I can control, um, you know, supplements, things that I can take all the physical things. And, um, I think that really helped me, uh, when I first was diagnosed. Powerful. Last question. And again, loaded question, no right or wrong. How do you define pancreatic cancer? That is a good question. Oh, to me, it's a mystery. Um, oh, that's mind boggling. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just finding that really tough. Um, because I'm living, well, I'm living with it now. Like I'm still here, thank God. You know, um, God, I, I can't even think. I'm completely blank. That's how I feel. Um, I'm gonna say it's not a death. For me, I'm like, a, it's not a death sentence. I suppose it's not really defining it, but it's that. It's what we see a lot in, um in media and I I suppose I, I and that's what it's portrayed to be it's a death sentence so I'm like I'm going to have to find that's not a death sentence sentence there is there is hope um there is 
you know, because I keep reading on research and I'm like, there is, God, it's, it's we're so far away from it though. Everything has to go through clinical trials and everything, but there is better um, survival rates now. Um, and you just have to keep, keep, keep the hope and believe that along with whatever treatment works for you, if it's conventional, um, along with maybe holistic, you know, that you can get through it and and can survive this. Sorry, I've just rambled on a bit. No, that that um, there's no there's no right or wrong to it. It's how you define it because of your experience and what you've gone through. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. So it, it's hard to kind of like when you're thinking, you're just like actually. First of all, for me, when I seen it was death sentence, and you know you're going to die really soon. And I'm like, and. I'm two years, I'm still here. And um, so, yeah, so for me, that's actually probably the best. It's not, uh, we can, as uh, the more, more community, like uh, the one thing is like, if, it, if, if you can find a good community, and for me, I feel it's quite lonely. Um, and hopefully with this can help reach out to a community that's um, inspiring and positive and are dealing with the, the same illness. Um, um yeah, that would be really nice. Powerful. And on that note, someone listening to this podcast, if they want to connect with you, you're in Scotland, but where's the best? So if you're in the US, you got to realize there's a time zone difference. Uh, where's the best place for people to connect or follow or support you or learn more uh, about your journey that you've mentioned today on the podcast? I'm... I'm- very new on uh, social media but i am on um instagram and you may laugh at this you know but i call myself beauty in the big sea i love it reason, probably should have mentioned that i'm a big disney fan and oh. my husband is the beast and i'm bell <laughs> <laughs> i love it. our dog is chip and um Yes, I'm Beauty in the Big Sea. I'm trying to be more active and sharing what I'm doing, what I'm up to with scans and treatments and supplements and diet. Um, I'm hoping to use the page more to kind of help what I'm up to and what's helping me and hope that I can help others. So I love um, it. And with the connect, then we can share emails or whatever after that. I just went out to your page and I love, I see your dog here. Is it Chip? Yeah. Chip, what kind is he? Uh, some sort he's of spaniel? Spaniel? Yeah, yeah, he's a working cocker spaniel. He's crazy. <sighs> I love it. I love. I I'm a big dog guy. I have two, and then just coming out here to your page, I love it. So it's beauty underscore and underscore the underscore big underscore c. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure if you just type in, I just typed in beauty in the big c, and it came up. So uh, this is awesome, uh, Laura. I want to thank you for being a guest and, you know, we, we, we've said this before and I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you, but recently the, the statistics in the state came out and the five-year survival rate is now 11%. And I feel like us, and I'll say this for us as an awareness group here in the United States, I think we do a really bad job of this. And, and that is, Everyone knows the, the I, I think anyone who's going through it, not to put words in your mouth, knows like the reality of this, right? Like you said, like you you had to make some really hard decisions, you and your husband, 
to not do treatment, to do IVF. You got the the long game of having kids and having a family with your husband and everything that you've yeah. gone through. So there's a reality of fighting this and being stage four, but there's nothing, I don't think we, we give the acceptance to patients to say that, Lori, you can be that 11%. Mm-hmm. And that that that's your story. And so I'm gonna leave that with you in the sense that there's nothing out there that's saying that you can't be part of that 11%. And just like Marissa, who's a 21 year survivor, you know, that, yeah. that could be, that's your story, you know? And, and so it's just been an honor to share your journey. Um, and, and I, I wish you the best and I look forward to following your journey on social media and, uh, from all of us here at Project Purple, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to share your journey on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you like what you hear today, Feel free to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, share this podcast, and until next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening to the Project Purple Podcast. Mm-hmm.